And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show for tonight's podcast episode. I actually have switched the envelope with me uh, from their podcast. Hello, Dairy One guys. Hey, how's it going? Pleasure to be here. How's it going, man? It's going really good. It's good to actually have you on here. I do appreciate you taking the invitation that I had on Twitter uh, last month to be able to do this show, and we decided on doing Cliffhanger tonight, the 1993's Sylvester Stallone film. But before we get into the review, uh, tell everybody about your podcast and all that other jazz and everything. Corey, you can take that. You're a... Well, uh, we, you know, th- thanks for, for the invite. We, we love, you know, having chats about movies in any any sort of capacity. That's um, just, you know, I mean, it's why we started our podcast in the first place, because we love movies and we really we love talking about movies. So any chance we can get to not talk to each other about movies... <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll take for sure uh but our podcast switch the envelope started off really as a uh switch the oscar kind of a podcast where we would we went back through categories and years in oscar history and would sort of tell the academy how they got it wrong <laughs> and uh you know we're not movie experts we just play some on on a podcast uh, and then that sort of evolved into a general uh, i mean i think we're movie experts well, I mean, some may say we're movie experts. Yeah, I'm... We, we won't tell them we aren't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, yeah, that sort of evolved uh, more recently, especially coming out of the pandemic, um, where we now dive a little deeper into just general movie history, uh, movie concepts, movie talk. Uh, we have our own sort of like mini episodes. Mini are, documentaries. Yeah, yeah. They're like docupods, I, th- I like to call them, that are uh, Switch the Envelope presents. We have Al's Useless Hollywood Facts. Al for uh, the uninitiated is our fictitious super time computer that gives us all of our information, AKA Google. Uh, and uh, so we, we gave him his own, his own show uh, where he gives us a bunch of random facts from some sort of, you know, through line in, in Hollywood history. And then there's also our Cinovations uh, show, which is a history and appreciation of cinematic innovations. So Cinovations. You know, there's a a few other things that we throw in there too, but yeah. (laughs) Very nice, guys. Very nice. Uh, So let's see here. What we have here is Cliffhanger, of course, 1993. This movie also had a budget of $70 million. It made $255 million at the box office. Like I said before, this also stars Sylvester Stallone, Michael Roker. You also have, uh, of course, you have John Lithgow in this movie. You Mm -hmm. also have Janine Turner, Leon uh leon paul leon yeah i think just leon is he's just leon, leon man this is leon okay well still <laughs> I got the only other confused. movie other than cool runnings that he was in he doesn't right. need a last name but uh you know i think that this movie is actually a very classic 90s movie and stuff like that especially when you look at stallone the very beginning of it it has a lot of spoofs if you think about it because in East Ventura, East Ventura When Nature Calls, there's actually a part where he's actually trying to save a raccoon yeah. and everything on the mountain and then the raccoon, and he tells the raccoon, don't forget, don't look down. The raccoon ends up looking down. Next thing you know, it, he winds up accidentally dropping the raccoon. Hang and, on, little buddy. Yep. <laughs> hang on, little buddy. It's okay. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I'll but save you. Yeah, I'll save you. But yeah, this is actually a really good action film whenever you think about it. It's totally different than Rambo. This is just Sylvester Stallone out in the snow, out in the mountains, and not only fighting John Licko, but also fighting uh, the snow at the same time. So you have a little bit of a survival movie going on, too, at the same time as the action is going on. 
But like I said, what he winds up doing is at the very start of the film, he has to go ahead and try and save Michael Roker and his girlfriend because they wind up being trapped on this uh, mountain, on the very top of the mountain, and they don't have any other way to get down. So therefore, they have to try and figure out a way to save them. So therefore, the hel what helicopter winds up doing is they wind up getting this grappling hook to where they can actually grapple across. And then, of course, Michael Roker goes on ahead and makes it over there just fine. And then you see the girlfriend go by and trying to get her on the hook. And, of course, she's actually scared and petrified out of her mind because she's never done rock climbing before or any type of mountain climbing. And she's petrified of heights. And, he, of course, Sylvester Stallone tells her not to look down. She winds up looking down. And then as she's getting a little bit further into where the other helicopter is, that's when her line winds up breaking. And then, of course, when uh, at that point and everything, too, Sylvester Stallone goes over there and tries to save her. He has her by the hand, and then, of course, her glove winds up slipping from underneath him, and then she winds up falling to her death. And now you actually have this beef between Michael Roker and Sylvester Stallone eight months later. But what did you guys think of the introduction of this movie? What did you think of how this movie first starts off? I thought this was the original Die Hard Part Two. Um, it is, I think that Sylvester Stallone was originally slated to be in Die Hard because they didn't want to have Bruce Willis. And then, and then he decided to make a movie just like Die Hard. You had 10 terrorists or so who were up on a, up in, who decided to rob a bunch of money. And then all of a sudden you had a guy who was against all odds, went against the terrorists and beat them, even though he didn't have a chance to, he didn't really, he was... You know, he's battling the, the elements. In Bruce Willis's case, it was, you know, it was the, the building. Right. <laughs> in, in Sylvester Stallone's case, it was the mountain, you know? I mean, I think it was very similar plot points. And, um, but I mean, just disclaimer, Cliffhanger is one of my favorite action movies of the 90s. I still love it. What's, what's interesting about the Die Hard uh, comparison, too, is this... Uh, the studio was trying to make a diehard-esque film with Sylvester Stallone for, for a while before Cliff, they ended up on Cliffhanger. And Rennie Harlan, the director of this particular film, uh, I think also directed Die Hard 2. So he, you know, he has that <laughs> under his belt, right? And uh, Carol Co., the, the production company, was trying to make this film called Gale Force with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> and it was described in the early stages as Die Hard in a Hurricane. If you can imagine that, <laughs> I would pay to and see instead, that. To be honest, yeah, uh, yeah. The financing fell through. You know, the, everything. Rennie Harlan was supposed to direct it, uh, but it all kind of collapsed because the studio really couldn't figure out how to uh, do the visual effects for any kind of uh, you know budget that was manageable. Uh, so the whole thing kind of collapsed, and everybody in the production crew kind of just shifted over to Cliffhanger, and then Cliffhanger got made because they were like, "Yeah, hey, we we can make mountains in a studio if we need to," you know. Um, and then they <laughs> flew out to Italy and proceeded to overshoot their budget by $40 million and nearly bankrupt the, uh, the studio. But, it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. But that, yeah, that, that opening sequence is a pretty iconic sequence. Absolutely. Like the, the second you make it to spoof territory, you know that you've done something. Exactly. Right. As soon as somebody's spoofing it, was, that's the Kurt Cobain quote exactly. right, about Weird Al. Once, like, yeah. Once Weird Al's made a, a parody song about you, or from one of your songs, you've made it as a, a you know an artist. <laughs> Same thing with exactly. with spoofs and movies, you know. Um, but I, I do have uh, some issues with Michael Rooker 
and the cavalier nature in which uh, Sylvester Stallone and the Rescue 3 crew are are treating this life and death situation that one of their own has put themselves into. You know? right. Really? I didn't I didn't get that. I didn't get that from the oh, opening they are scene. So, they're joking. They're cracking jokes back and forth. And like, honestly, right, that's something that I didn't get either. Has screwed up. He has messed up. He took somebody who doesn't know how to climb, trying to impress his girlfriend, Sarah, taking her up to this really high, narrow point, and he has to be rescued by his own team. That's irresponsible. Yeah, but I think that among among very experienced climbers, that would be something they'd be like, oh, guess what? We have to come, we have to come and save your ass. That would be something I think they would joke about. Yeah. So until was, they kill the girl. If it was but... just him. Yeah. No, like, so <laughs> then her life is in danger. And I don't know why they didn't check their their equipment. Uh, before they put it on or before they went out there. But like 125 year old Sarah or 125 pound Sarah is uh, putting a lot of stress on what was probably already a defective harness because no, but it was Sylvester Stallone's weight that on that line that broke the line, man. No, the line didn't break. Her harness broke. Sylvester yep. Stallone went out on the line. The line I'm just, I'm just quoting the movie where Michael the, line says. the logic is not sound in the, in its own movie. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone going out on, on that line was the only thing. I mean, even Jesse, Sylvester Stallone's girlfriend says it like, you did everything right later when she's coming <clears throat> horses or whatever. I like Jesse better in Northern Exposure. Yeah. Jesse's a weird, a weird character for me because I don't quite know what the relationship is with her and Sylvester Stallone. Are they married? Are they just, are they dating? Are they just like mountain friends with benefits? Like, I'm not sure what's... <laughs> What's really going on there? Like how I think they're they are? I think they're eggplant emoji kind of friends. <laughs> they have yeah. Well, totally there's not much going on up in the mountains or whatever, so you need at least one person that has that benefit. <laughs> so you can't go wrong with Sylvester Stallone in the late nineties and everything. You never know. Jesse time. could have been friends with uh friends, quote unquote, with the old dude. Frank? You know? Oh, my favorite character, <laughs> Frank. Know? Who, by the way, if you go back and rewatch that opening scene. It cuts to Michael Rooker and Frank sitting uh, at the edge of the helicopter. And Frank is grimacing while he's watching Stallone, like, do his thing on the line with Sarah and, you know, like, trying not to drop her and whatnot. But the face that the actor is is making makes him look like he's smiling maniacally. And it looks like Frank is sadistic and he's enjoying it a little too much. Like Maybe he is. He's hoping for death on that mountain <laughs> that, that night. <laughs> he's just got this, like wide smile looking face it's it's crazy it is it definitely is and i have to agree with you on on your point though too like i thought for sh here's the thing whenever they're joking around and climbing around and, cli uh, and joking around about this situation i'm like you're in a life and death situation Any and only that but winds can pick up anything yeah. can wind up happening while you're on top of this mountain and here they are busting balls with each other it's like hey you're gonna go ahead and meet me after after this after we go, go once again, yeah, I have to go ahead and save your ass. Dinner, right? Yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, know, it's like another another Tuesday with uh, Hal just <laughs> screwing up the mountain. It's like, yep, gotta go save Hal's ass right about now. Yeah, it turns out Hal's a bad employee, <laughs> a bad coworker. I think that's what the underlying thing there is. Hal is really pushing the limits there in his off hours. It's all fun, fun and games until you fall off a mountain. But yeah, you know, I want a prequel. <laughs> I want to know how Hal met Sarah. I want to know how this this relationship started. Where he, what girl was like? Yeah, sure, I'll go up the biggest peak in the. Oh yeah, I've never climbed before. I've never in my climbed. Life. Yeah, let's go climb. I'm going to trust really you. Couldn't yeah. have met on Tinder. 
And they, they didn't have any, like, climbing equipment with them. They had, like, a flare, which luckily he had. But it didn't look like he had Much. him near anything. There's no chalk. There's no, like, climbing rig stuff. So they just free soloed their way up the, the tower there. I doubt very seriously. That well, she had to have had a it. harness because it broke. No, she used the harness that Sylvester Stallone gave her. <laughs> and he clipped her into that you know, little pulley thing. Yeah. He's, when he tells her, you know, you ready to go on the, the best ride in the park? You know, and he puts that little metal thing on the on the line. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. If I had to bring my girlfriend on there, I would probably have to go ahead and uh, get her drunk before she even climbs a mountain, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't be going up there. I can tell you that. But yeah, the underlying right. thing is Michael Rooker's he's got a huge game is what you're saying. Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> or he's got. Yeah. <laughs> he's or he's just dating that girls that, that are really really after the extreme sports experience yeah. she said that was how really you, how did you convince you it's better yeah. than sex <laughs> uh, i don't know but here's the thing though i mean i lot here i actually forgot how intense that scene actually is though if you yeah. ignore the jokes and stuff like that and how intense it can actually be that was the initial part that was actually sold on was okay. I know something's gonna bad is gonna wind up happening, but when is that thing gonna happen? Basically, because it's, yeah, oh, yeah. The last time I saw this was in '93, I think, when I rented this from Block. So, I knew the I knew it was coming. I forgot exactly what happens, but whenever I saw that ha happening and everything, I was like, oh, this is not gonna well and then so stallone has to go out there he grabs her hand and as she, she goes i'm slipping i'm slipping i'm like dude just reach for him that's all you have to do is reach no, for she's him. in straight panic mode and honestly that's right. the most realistic thing of, of the whole scene is you know like um mm -hmm. lifeguards talk about when they go to save somebody who's drowning and they have to like knock them out or like subdue them in order to save them because they're flailing. They have they to drown them first. They <laughs> strangle them, strangle them and drown them. And then they can their dead carcass into the, into the shore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like that, that makes sense. Like she is not on a, on a wavelength where she's thinking rationally because she thinks that she's going to die. And like, you know, th there's a couple lines in the early parts of this film that are just like characters flat out, uh, telling lies to the logic of the film or to the plot of the film. And one of those is Sylvester Stallone, who is barely holding on to this crappy glove that she's got on. And he's telling her, you're not going to die. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. <laughs> Clearly, at that moment, he knows, like, it's a lost cause. You know, like, this is going to happen. I will say, if you're watching this film and you have some fear of heights, then looking at the, the camera angle, oh, looking down... Yeah. Yeah, it's frightening as hell. They, they do a bunch yeah. of those in this movie, which is really It's going to make you nauseated, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, it's very scary to see what she would be looking down at, thinking that she's going to fall. At, thinking that she's going to fall down what that ravine. Oh, yeah, just, just like that's not even a ravine. What is yeah, it? It's, it's just like, a, like, yeah, it's a valley, a pit, or whatever. Just, <laughs> that, that would be so intense to think about. Yeah. Oh, it would. Definitely. I mean, most people, when they fall from great heights like that, end up sort of going into cardiac arrest and shock before they even, like, die from the impact of the plumbing. Okay, so now the now that movie is not as scary for me because I know she went to shock oh, she and died before she actually hit the ground. Before cool. she actually hit the ground and then that finished her off. Yeah. Cool. Now I don't feel as bad. I mean, it for was her. a terribly <laughs> violent death, but she probably wasn't conscious for most of it. Okay, now I feel better. Yeah. Okay. R so <laughs> now that she's dead, um so <laughs> after that winds up happening, like I said, there's some months that it winds up happening where basically 
you wind up seeing these FBI guys transporting the money and things like that. You're wondering Treasury where Department. this is actually going, you know. And then, of course, you're wondering, too, is one of them going to be corrupt? Because something has to be corrupt here, you know. But yeah, one of them has to be corrupt. And then also, too, you also have some other things that are going on here. They're the only people on that airplane as well. There's no other passengers but them in this one little small airplane. So therefore, you're wondering who's going to backstab who because there's all this money here. But where is this where is this plot actually going to take us into the next scene, you know? Yeah, now on that part and that in that scene, I knew there was going to be some backstabbing. So I wasn't surprised at all. Oh, there's there's double crosses akimbo in this movie. Yeah, I just I <laughs> I was not surprised at all when the Secret Service agent turned around and shot every I was like, I treasury, knew that was gonna happen. The Treasury Department guys. Sorry, Treasury, treasury department. department. They're transporting money. It's treasury department, which yes. I don't think is like a thing. I thought Secret Service is in charge of the treasury. Calling themselves treasury agents. <laughs> okay, well okay, well, <laughs> that's an inaccuracy of the movie. <laughs> Again, but I don't think it's a thing. But like, <laughs> in this in this world, there's a government agency that deals with transportation of, of funds for international banking. Okay. Needs. All right. I think that's the story that they that they give. Well, Agent Taggart. We'll just refer to him as Agent Taggart. Uh, Tavers. Traver? Travers. I thought Must, it was Taggart. Mustachioed bald guy? Yeah. Travers? Travers okay. I think Agent Travers is... Uh, him i just i knew he was gonna be the backstabbing guy oh, i yeah. knew it just right off the bat i was like that's him a look no he has a, he has a dim-witted look i don't know he just says a <laughs> yeah that and he was like fourth build <laughs> <laughs> like just under john lithgow <laughs> right but also too i mean whenever you look at this scene though and whenever he gets ready to backstab i'm like this is this is also one of those things too Something is going to go wrong or haywire with this plan that they have. You see this other plane and everything when he's looking at whenever the treasury uh, of the FBI and everything else is actually looking out the window. You actually see, you know, you actually see what's going on and everything where there's a, there's this other plane coming in. Yeah, that 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 whole sequence confuses the hell out of me. That's a real. We like to. Call I thought it was it, fantastic. I mean, visually, really awesome, really dynamic. The whole plane sequence, the the million dollar stunt that they do, where the guy where he zip lines from one plane to the other, super cool. But like the logic of that scene just didn't work for me. It's on on uh, our show. We like to to talk about sort of logical fallacies in movies uh, with a sort of flippant because well movies uh it's just something that that never gets explained is logically not something that would happen in a real life situation like there's a bunch of it happening on that plane it's a giant macguffin to get the or the 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 um cases of money or this giant macguffin and they just had to figure out a way to get them over the mountains and dropped right and it's kind of do you think that in real life what would have happened is they would have tried to link the money up and it would have one of the planes would have had some kind of mishap and all the money would have just fell from there. All right, here's my scenario. Because that's what I think would have happened. Here's and oh, shit, that's exactly what happened. Here's my scenario, Jeff. <laughs> Criminal mastermind. Uh, we know, we find out later that John Lithgow is uh, some sort of secret service or secret agent uh, intelligence background. And now he's, he's figured out that it's more lucrative to go on the other side of the law, right? Uh, he's supposed to be this criminally you know, genius planner right uh 
why would you have the plane pull up next to the other plane, alerting it that that you're there, knowing that not everybody on that plane would be in on in on the gig? It seems like I because guess, it's because it's Die Hard. <laughs> and what did you learn? What's the number one rule of Die Hard that you learned from all those terrorists? Terrorists are bad at planning. No, oh. you learn that it's better to make everybody believe that the money has been destroyed and get away with it clean than to try and rob the money and make people be looking for you. So what their original plan was, was to think that the money went down in a, in a plane and blew up Sure. and they got away with it scot-free. That was the original plan. Cause like, honestly, they could have landed at a private airfield, changed the money. He, he still would have had to shoot all the people that he shot. Uh, the pilot would have had to kill his co-pilot. Like, th there's no way, there's no scenario in which that isn't happening. By the way, everybody on that plane is dying, no matter what. Like, there's no way anybody else on that plane survives exactly. uh, to get that transfer to happen because he blows the damn back of the plane off. Like, he's just gonna like, se like secretly do that. <laughs> well, everybody is is like taking a nap, reading their in-flight magazines. Nah, but like they could have landed in an airfield, transferred the money blown up the plane and then but they were tracking the money the, wherever they were going in the first they were the tracking place. the money so they had to know that the plane went down in the mountains card. <laughs> he has a key card what are you talking about a key that card unlocks and yeah, locks the key he does have a key card that actually Travers unlocks got the that case. key card he locks them at the treasury department no i'm saying that the treasury department yeah. themselves right. back at like I don't know wherever the Treasury yeah. Department's home base is. Take them out of the cases. Like where Ed Harris is also watching <laughs> Apollo 13. <laughs> wherever that is, they're watching the planes. For some reason, they're like tracking these planes. Sure. And when they needed to see them go down, so they thought that they would be looking for the money. So the original plan was they'd be looking for that money through that snowstorm in, the, in those mountains while John Lithgow and all those people are flying off to the Bahamas or, sure. or Panama, Tonga or wherever they go. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah. I, I understand. I'm saying there's an easier, less uh, life, you know, threatening way. Well, you're not John Lithgow in this movie. No, no, not John Lithgow. <laughs> I'm saying Agent Travers and the pilot, presumably, were going to zip line free right. from anything at 10,000 feet from one plane to another. Well, the whole idea is that you'd have to have somebody. Why would you do this plan? The only part, part of this plan doesn't make any sense is why would you send over the money and then trust this crazy guy to not cut the line on you while you're on the That's line. That's why Travers goes right. first, man. Exactly. But then how are you going to get the money back over? The pilot. The pilot was supposed but to. But then why would you, be, would you did the pilot think that they're not going to cut the line while he's coming over? I mean, look, he's not getting paid enough to uh, to go over first. <laughs> or maybe not he's first following last, the money. But... Right? Follow the money quickly. Either way, it's a super cool stunt. Well, it I'm doesn't just matter saying. because the FBI guy wakes up uh, after getting his Rolex stepped on, which, by the way, is probably the most painful-looking uh, thing in the movie. <laughs> Everything else is like big stunts and like... No, the painfulest thing that happens is the death guy. of Leon. The, oh, yeah. That, I mean, that that's yeah, like the, the obvious the thing, right? I'm saying that guy's hand really got stepped on by the pilot walking over him. No. <laughs> and his finger starts twitching. They're like, oh, that was probably like really painful. Have you ever had your, your hand crushed in a door or like mm -hmm. stepped on accidentally or something? It's super painful. I haven't. I'm like Bruce Willis in uh, Unbreakable. <laughs> but yeah, I was like this. I'm like, dude, you have to have some strong organs in your body not to scream or anything like that when that dude was actually just puts his... 
uh, walks on his hand, and he has to right. pretend he's dead, and everything. And then he goes on ahead and tries shooting him, and everything, and it winds up failing. But at the same time, I'm also thinking this: I'm like, how strong are those zip lines and everything, and how heavy? are those briefcases to where they can actually zip line through because they actually have to be pretty heavy duty oh, yeah. and everything. So can that zip line hold that much weight? Cause you're talking about like three briefcases. It would make more sense if it wasn't like all at one time and zip lining it one at a time. And then on the, on the last uh, zip line, you can go ahead and be like, okay, we're going to set up this bomb. And then on that last briefcase, let that explode with, the other uh, FBI agent and everything. So therefore they basically would only have two briefcases to actually find rather than three briefcases. It yeah, would make it a little bit of, more sense. It's also kind of a, a dick move on Travers's part to set the bomb and, and then like, like arm it and then be like, all right, pilot, you're on your own. Plus get, get those things over there before the whole thing blows up. <laughs> like just let the pilot hit that switch on his way out. And then he doesn't have like only three minutes instead of five minutes, or better yet, remote charge that. Like also, come on. doesn't Travers have a oxygen mask he brings on the plane? Didn't yeah. anybody wonder about that? Well, FBI guy who's just hitching a ride uh, brought on an Uzi too. So no, nobody thought like, <laughs> oh, this guy going to San Francisco. I'm more concerned about the the oxygen mask because do you don't think that'd be something that'd be a little weird to bring on a plane? They'd be like, hey, why did you bring on an oxygen mask? Why do they have oxygen masks in the first place? I'm wondering. Well, because they had to open up the the door at like twenty thousand feet, yeah, so they wouldn't once, be able to breathe at that level. No, no, no. Once it's depressurized, you're you're fine. Like when people jump out of airplanes to go skydiving, they're not wearing oxygen masks. But they're not at twenty thousand feet either. Uh, I guess it would it would depend on altitude. I, I, yeah, they're they're at a high altitude because the plane was flying at a really high altitude because it's flying at a, the level of a normal plane. But that's what I'm saying. Why would Travers be coming on the plane with a friggin' oxygen mask? You know what? M maybe he took the co-pilot one co-pilot's oxygen mask because or maybe they're standard issue because it's a no because remember they started communicating with each other yeah it's got a radio in it or something that's the what whole, i'm saying the radio communication why all of a sudden is travers just yeah. pull out an oxygen mask from somewhere and, <laughs> right. and nobody thought to ask him <laughs> where why are you bringing a, an oxygen mask onto the plane that whole scene is really really because movies yeah right just because <laughs> it's, it's an action scene you know yeah. no one thinks about uh asking him anything or anything like that but only that but you don't even see none of those oxygen things that hang down in case of an emergency or anything either right. when they it's basically the just a military plane. grade right thing about <laughs> military grade kind of airplane so you don't really see anything to actually indicate hey there's there's going to be other oxygen mask on there other than the one that trevor has so you're like um what's up dude what's up with that oxygen mask because that's what i would like to know <laughs> well it's like the, pilot, on the to pilot has <laughs> one Earlier in the shots, when you look at the cockpit, the pilot does have a similar mask hanging next to him um, or like sort of behind and to the to the left of him in the cockpit. So mm. it's it's possible, like I said, that maybe Travers took maybe those are the standard issue oxygen masks that are on the, the plane and they have like a little, you know, science fictiony earbud uh, respond, you know, like uh, radio in their ears because they're in on the gig already and it's not a part of the mask. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but it, it like is very, very razor thin logic there. But big ups to Cliffhanger for hitting one, two right out the gate. Like you're only 10 minutes into this movie and you've gotten two incredibly tense, wonderfully choreographed action mm -hmm. sequences that are not fights. Right? right. It's not they're not fight fight sequences. And one of them, Sylvester like, Stallone, isn't even in. Seat. 
Yeah, exactly. Right, we have yeah. the whole entire, like I said before, we had one scene where Michael Rooker's girlfriend dies. Then we also have another action scene that happens where basically just the airplane exploding. And then we have the tone for the movie on which we're getting ready to set bar for and everything. Mm-hmm. So we actually know the tone of the movie, what we're looking at. So that's something I appreciated is the fact that we don't, it's not a misidentification of what this movie's about. So therefore it has its identity. Now it has its tone for what we're getting and it's die hard in a mountain pretty much. And, and you get the, the danger yeah. stakes of what being in those mountains is, right? You right. know, right from that first scene, like, oh, no, no, people will fall to their deaths many times exactly. in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, then, uh, like I said, it's eight months later, Gabe returns to the ranger station to gather his remaining possessions and persuade Jesse to leave with him. Mm-hmm. While there, that's when they receive the distress call for, from the group of stranded climbers. He goes and locates the climbers and Jesse is able to persuade Gabe to help out with it. But also too, at the very beginning, you also see these other guys that you don't, you're thinking that they're snowboarders and everything, but you know, the way they actually look, they look like snowboarders in extreme sports, but it's actually a, another way about them actually skydiving yeah, and everything parajump. too. <laughs> they're base jumpers <laughs> base or whatever. Jumpers, that's what yeah. it's called, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Brett and something else. And by the way, that conversation that they have with Gabe on the highway, the winding mountain highway where they're just casually talking out their windows, having a full conversation <laughs> is laugh out loud. The most absurd moment in the movie. <laughs> it kind of reminds you of like a non-playable character in a video game where basically they're having scene. conversations <laughs> and then even cuts away like a cut scene from a video game, right? Because yeah. after they, after uh, Sylvester Sloan slows down a little bit, then all of a sudden you see the Jeep take a right-hand turn quickly yep. <laughs> into the forest. <laughs> yeah. So it yeah, kind of reminds you of a video, non-playable character slash cut scene <laughs> in, a video, in a movie. And it doesn't become relevant until later in the movie. So later in the movie, you see them again, but until that part of the movie, you don't really see those boys again. It would have been totally fine for for them to recognize him at the gas station and been like, "Oh, Gabe's back!" And that was that was Gabe. Like, Gabe's back. Oh, that's awesome. And then just cut away. You we mean don't, we don't need? Whoa, it's Gabe. Yeah, yeah whatever. Gabe. Whoa, it's Gabe, man. Whoa, it's Gabe. They're, they're God, it's Gabe. Totally yeah. Keanu Reeves out. Yeah, <laughs> we we didn't need for them to have a totally bonkers conversation <laughs> on a windy mountain road at like regular volume. <laughs> well, nobody's nobody's paying attention to that road. No, nobody's no paying attention to that road. And Sylvester Stallone had to move over into oncoming traffic lane in order to accommodate having a a, a chat with them. Ugh. It just it didn't need to happen. It's the most ridiculous thing in the movie. In a it movie does. full of ridiculous things, that's the most ridiculous. <laughs> But then you, like I said before, then you get the distress call uh-huh. and everything. And I thought the distress call actually helps out. But then we are actually introduced to John Lithgow's character. You're also introduced he- to the pilot. You're also introduced to all these other characters now who's actually going to be backstabbing each other later on because they can't trust each other over this money. It just goes to show you how far greed can actually go when you have this le- much amount of money that, that they are trying to get their hands on. And of course, they yep. wind up losing the money, so they don't know where the money actually is up until uh, Trevor winds up telling him, "Well, look, it's on these mountains right here." Well, we don't have no rock climbing experience here, 
So we're going to go on ahead and have to get somebody that's actually experienced. How do we do that? We're going to fake that we have uh, someone that actually needs insulin. And I like how John Lipko just looks at him and goes, did you think about, uh, how about that? Did you think of uh, insulin yeah. on your little plan? <laughs> How's my girl's ad lib? Pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, and she, she also mentions that they're a party of five. Now, I know it's a fake, a fake call anyway, so the number of people doesn't matter. But I counted seven people in that plane, and like, there's three goons that are like nameless, faceless goons. And you know that they're in the back of that plane looking to like, all right, which two of us? Are, are completely expendable at this moment. <laughs> it's like, which one of us is not getting paid at the, yeah. at the end of this movie? <laughs> which Turn one out. of us is going to get killed? But, it, you know... It doesn't I bode like... well for employment of any of those goons. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but then also, too, you also have another thing that winds up having the conversation between Gabe and also, too, Michael Roker's character... And you, I like the fact that they actually play off the guilt and shame off of oh, Gabe yeah. and everything because he's still hurting over the stuff that happened in the very beginning of the film. And it's eight months later and it's still following him. That PTSD is still ho holding on to him. So I yeah. like the fact that it's playing into that on something on a serious level. Then Because it's rare that we actually have that in, action, in an action movie in the 90s where it plays off of PTSD. It plays off of guilt and shame. They don't ignore what happened. So that's something I appreciated with Cliffhanger. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> that that guilt carries through the remaining motivations for pretty much everything Sylvester Stallone does in the film. Mike, Michael Rooker kind of turns it on and turns it off a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think Sylvester Stallone, his character, G Gabe Walker? Is he Gabe Walker or is he Gabe Tucker? I'm not sure which one is Walker, which one's Tucker. Um, I think there's one of them is Walker, Texas Ranger, and yeah. the other one is Tucker, Texas Walker. <laughs> but yeah, and Sylvester Stallone's character does carry a, a heavy burden with him through the entire film, you know. Um, and I, yeah, I do, I do appreciate that. It, it's a, it makes for a better filmmaking for sure, especially there, in a film where they don't need to. I, so I, I do like this film, but there's one thing that really annoys me through the beginning of this film. It doesn't really. It, it, it's mostly through the when they first meet Sylvester Stallone, when they're first trying to get him and Michael Rooker to you do like. I think we have similar notes here. There is <laughs> something they're tr when they're first trying to get him to keep moving, and he keeps stopping, and he won't do what they're telling him. The terrorists keep uh, loading their gun. They keep like like clicking their gun to tell him to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same two terrorists. You can't load your gun that many times. They'd be out of bullets. They load their gun at him like like every single time. They say, keep moving. And then they, they, they click and load. And then they say, keep moving. And they load again. And they keep moving. And they load again. These overdone sound effects? Yeah. They're they, actually doing the motion. I no, they actually do the motion. And they load the gun. And they tell him to keep moving. And they load again. And they tell him to keep moving. And I'm like, they didn't fire. And they didn't, and they didn't you know... They didn't take. I, I didn't. They, they didn't show them taking the gun off of load. You know, like they didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're just they're just like discharging bullets and then reloading the next one in the chamber and then disload dislodging a. I mean, a, they, another new bullet. I mean, they're that. just like they're just like making sound effects behind him, but it's like right because it, it sounds like a better action sequence with, when there's. But they do it so many times. It sounds like bad editing. It sounds like there should have been something in between there where they shoot off, like at least fire off a, a bullet or something. That way, like. That way, there'd been something like at least a reason to reload the gun. 
but they just like just keep hitting it and it just really is annoying Overly i could just see someone in the sound effects and the editing room you know what this thing what it really needs it needs more reloading <laughs> <laughs> we got you <laughs> yeah. don't, don't worry Renny. don't mess with us we're gonna reload the gun again <laughs> i i keep think, thinking that he should have turned around at one point and gone dude you just reloaded that gun at me that okay. Jam. <laughs> you are gonna <laughs> you are gonna jam that gun, all right? I can see him looking at him, look, I'm gonna do what you want me to do, but for crying out loud, stop with reloading the stupid gun. <laughs> you can't fit any more bullets in that Uzi, all right? The bullets don't go more there's no more that'll fit in that chamber. Trust me, if anyone should know, it's me. I played Rambo. I know how many <laughs> know. how many rounds goes in that clip. <laughs> But, you know, it's just the ridiculousness of it, though. But, yeah, I do have to admit that the um, over-clicking of the gun was actually annoying and everything. But also, too, you have him on the on trying to make him do what he needs to do. But he's also trying to stall for time. He's like, okay, any na- time now, Hal's going to try and help me out here. But Hal doesn't even help him or anything either. He's like, okay, come on. We have to keep on moving, Gabe. Come on, we have to keep on moving. <laughs> so yeah. later on, Hal starts right. to help help him out, but in the beginning, he doesn't. Yeah. No, he just goes on ahead, follows Gabe on this mountain like a duck, and is like, "Okay, we're just gonna go on ahead, do this duck walk with these villains, and hopefully, we wind up throwing them off the cliff later on." Yeah. But I like how they actually play off of the technologies. Like, hey, look, we have to get to this point right here. So we have to climb. He goes, well, where is it at? It's up above us. And he goes, I don't trust him. So what do they do? They go in and tie this rope up and everything, hoping these bungee cords will actually lift them all the way up there to find what they need. And then finally, he's like, they're taking, he's taking too long. There's no way he found it. Shoot him. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, they're super reliant on Gabe and Hal's expertise to climb these mountains to fetch these things. Yet when they send, when they find that first case, or they find the, the general location of that first case, they make it as difficult as possible for Sylvester Stallone to go up the side of this mountain. They take away all of his protective gear. They don't let him take an axe. They don't let him take his little piston shooting spike gun. Well, to be fair, he does go up there and open the money. I mean, just just a well, yeah. Fair. I mean, they shouldn't have trusted him. That's true. But <laughs> he did go up there, and the first no, thing he did was open the case and look my, at the money. My big thing is like, why are they being so aggressive towards these rescue guys? They could have just been like, hey, look. Awesome opportunity. There's like a hundred million dollars up here in these mountains. We will cut you guys in. Uh, things went a little south, as you can see, down to aircraft. But uh, <laughs> you can get a percentage, and we could all walk away from this super clean. And I guarantee Hal would have gone for it. Guaranteed. Right. Hal would have gone for Guaranteed it. Guaranteed Hal would have been like, all right, let's do this. Well, you know, show me the money, I was baby. thinking if anybody was going to go corrupt, I was thinking Hal was going to go on ahead and join them because he actually has motivation. Mm-hmm. To join them because I think it would be Frank. Frank, <laughs> Frank, Frank would have gone. Frank would have gone so corrupt. Frank and his terrible paintings. I love Frank so much. He's he would be like, person. he'd be like, I've got a way we can launder this. You buy all my paintings. <laughs> yeah, right. Buy my paintings for a million dollars, and we can we can make a deal. Nineties Banksy. And, exactly. Uh, we'll launder your money. Be like Mickey Blue Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reference that you. It's hard to get. <laughs> exactly. I remember that movie, though, too. <laughs> With Hugh Grant. But, 
you know, and then what, what, I think those cases are really clumsy, though, because all he had to do was get a rock and start hitting it and beating on it, and all of a sudden the case just opens. Yeah, so much for that key, <laughs> that magnetic key lock. But he hit it with a with a Sylvester Stallone size arm. That's all right, true. that's right. like the size of the case. He's just like, <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. If that was Vin Diesel, he goes, "All I need is family." Yeah, yeah. He, he <laughs> I don't need up. a key card. I just need family. <laughs> Yeah, he would bring up his, his family and the case would p- pop open. Right. Or, or they'd put it in between uh, uh, the rock's arm. He wouldn't he need a rock. It, he'd have the rock. Exactly. And then the, the case would open. But I have to laugh at how Trevor's like, you need me because I got the key. And then all of a sudden... The Sylvester... Andy, Andy's got the tracking device codes. Right. Which is... Why would they... Why would they have tracking codes to see well whatever right <laughs> because exactly. it's a hundred million dollars i know but i'm just saying the person that would be holding that is like a treasury uh, agent right that was him every 15 minutes he's got to pl- plug in a new code so that he can see that they're still on the plane <laughs> like, in an emergency that's the tool they use to track down where those cases have gone in in the case of them being stolen somewhere right uh, the person, the agent who has that device, why why would they need to plug in a, a code every fifteen minutes to be back on the trail? Back on the trail. I don't think it was every fifteen minutes. I think it's that he was the only one that had the code, and you had to punch it in. But then there's fifty thousand permutations of the code, and it changes every fifteen minutes. Did you say it, 50, it changes every fifteen like minutes? That. There's there's like weird rules. I thought for, it was just that he had to p- punch in the code. Every and you had to punch it in a certain amount of time. Also, he's stranded up on that mountain. How is he getting uh, what the new codes are every so often? Whatever, whenever that time frame is. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was that you had to punch in different codes. I thought you had to punch it in within a certain amount of seconds. Oh, maybe that's what it is. I I don't know. It's a, a bunch of like. No, it was just that you had to punch in the code within a certain amount of seconds, and you couldn't mess it up. It's, it's a... kind of like an iPhone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It goes to sleep. It's yeah, like if you punch in the iPhone, you know how you well you can't get into it for like ten years. Yeah, you know, yeah. it like blocks itself up. That yeah. was like the iPhone before the iPhone. It's got that. Uh, it's got that escape from New York, you know, lay of the uh, typography or topography. That like wireframe, you know, the escape from New York when they do the the digital city. No, yeah. I actually have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Everything's all white lined and poly, <laughs> polynomials and you know, poly. Right, it looks like a Nintendo <laughs> video yeah, game. That's what those mountains look like in his little his little screen. With the the like keeping oh. triangles where the where the cases are. Oh, he means he's like it looks like, like pong lines. and stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it looks yeah. like pong. It's more of the it's advanced copy of pong though. It, yeah. it has mountains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try was, you hit the ball. You hit the pong over the mountains. <laughs> right. I'm not sure if it's just like my modern uh, sensibility for technology because I'm much younger than you know they are in <laughs> in the film at the time, but like. They held up a dirty-ass map with a circle on it on top of the screen and then pulled the screen away, and then you see, like, bad computer graphic mountains, and John Lithgow's like, do you recognize this place? And, like, Michael Rooker and Sylvester Stallone are looking back back and forth at each other, and I imagine that in their minds they're like, the hell am I even looking at? <laughs> As actors, they're real good actors. What are we even looking at? They're like real good actors. They're like, yeah, yeah we know what that is. Yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah, we know. We got this. That is. Yeah. That's Cone Bluff. <laughs> we got Cone Bluff. We know what that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just off to the side. Those are the towers. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then after that happens, they wind up losing the money. At that point, though, too, that's what, of course, well, when they on. cut the cord. Sylvester and Stallone survives an avalanche. <laughs> right. They all do, actually. <laughs> Except yeah, for the do. two guys that were nameless that you talked about. Well, one, one of the guys cool. that was nameless. Yeah, Mr. Grenade Launcher just flies right off that cliff. That's the guy with the uh, Blonde hair? the cut cut right here. Yeah, the, the guy that looks like uh, the Joker's villain. Henchman. He, he's also in... Um, from Batman. He's also in The Mask. Oh, is he? I believe... I'm just going off of facial recognition, but I believe that the guy that was in that shooting the grenade launcher is in Jim Carrey's The Mask. He's one of the henchmen in The Mask. He's been typecast. Yeah, oh, that's but funny. I'm literally... Because I don't have my phone with me, so I'm literally going off my... Yeah, so. we, we can't reference Al live on, on the air. We're in a different show. <laughs> Al's on our other show. Al's sleeping. Al! He, he has a, a, a 50,000 permutation code that we got to plug into him over in the... Travers is using <laughs> Al right now <laughs> to find money. But uh, then, of course, then they go over to the next location trying to get Hal to do it now. Yep. Be, because they think that um, Gabe is dead. And everything so then we wind up seeing them walk over to this other location and stuff like that and you know once again uh this is where of course you know things go haywire uh, because night, night, night falls fight. on the mountain on yeah. both groups <laughs> but and everything gabe, too th this is um this is where, where gabe actually meets back up with jesse right at the uh Right. The Douglas. At the mountain. Thing, uh, the little The mountain hut. hotel yeah. the of, uh, for, yeah. for monks. The hideaway hut. Yeah. yeah. Where she breaks a bunch of glass. And it's like a museum. A, like a probably a, a 200 year old sweater. <laughs> right. From uh, the Friday the 13th. <laughs> 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 yeah. Because all I could you... think of is uh, Jason Voorhees' mother wearing that sweater. <laughs> so... Exactly. <laughs> it's I'm like, wait. It was a traveling um, museum piece. It was Friday the 13th. Uh, I thought to myself, who would travel frost? all the way up that mountain to that museum just to see a, sweat, a sweater <laughs> with a some old artifacts? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, we finally it. did it. We finally did it, guys. Uh, we did it. We got the museum. <laughs> is it Sir, it's Sir like, Hillary's? We saw the sweater and sweater the claw. Maybe? Yeah, I think the only thing else in there was a claw and, and a rope. Old ass binoculars. Yeah, they got like a hundred and sixty year old rope or something like that. Yeah, that that broke on them, and they got a rope, a claw, and a sweater. Yeah, they Whoa. got binoculars. What the they hell kind of a museum is that? Exactly. Uh, yeah, a bad museum <laughs> in, in the middle of the mountains that you had to climb up to. Yeah, a th 30, 30 minute hike to get to. <laughs> that's not a fun time with the kids no definitely not kids, if you're wanna, on a school trip hike? no you want to hike four hours to see a claw a rope and a sweater <laughs> it's like how was your trip kids it was great what did you get well uh bob got a sweater i got a hook <laughs> and what did you get i got frostbite yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say the same thing, but I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I lost but a yeah. toe. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> By the way, mom, we have to go to the ER so we can get this off. <laughs> kept it on ice. <laughs> can we put this black thing back on my foot. Worst trip oh, ever. Man. One star. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, um, but yeah, I think that this film is actually pretty fun whenever you think about it, though. I mean, yeah, it has ridiculousness and stuff like that. But John Lipkow's character is, like, overacting, in a sense. You can definitely tell that John Lipkow is trying to do everything he can to be serious in this movie. And to actually be dangerous and scary. But it just, I don't know, it just doesn't work. But although, fun fact... So, uh, Christopher Walken was actually supposed to be the guy who actually was the person who was supposed to play that character. Oh, they got that would have been Lipko. so great. I agree. Great. I could see him playing that character, though. And even I was thinking that before I found that out. I'm like, you know what this needs? More cowbell. This needs, <laughs> <laughs> this needs Christopher Walken. But at the last minute, they got John Lipkow. Was, I mean, uh... A pretty good get. Lipkow's, Lipkow's entertaining you yeah, know, as over the top as he is, he's he's very entertaining. I like. Him I don't think. Dexter. He... Oh, it's great. Yeah, he plays. A, he's a good bad guy. He's a good like yeah. unas. He like he can kind of fly under the radar and then be completely evil. Like he's got he's got good range. He's not as good as Hans Gruber. No, but Alan. But Rickman, yeah, Alan Rickman cool. definitely plays a better bad guy. But they're similar, and I think that's why he was cast in that role. Yeah. That's why they wanted. Well, that Lithgow's missing the the dynamic beard. I think to really really pull through a Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber is just uh, epic. He is. He is. You know, like I think Hans Gruber just pulls off that that character is just a lot more epic than the John what John Lithgow is doing, but I think he's I think John Lithgow was actually trying to do a Hans Gruber with his character and it just wasn't working. No, but um wasn't. Christopher Walken would have been awesome. Christopher Walken would have been great. That line where he's like Kill, kill a few people that call you a murderer, like with all of his pregnant pauses, would have been amazing. I can I can actually hear that in his. Me too. Uh, kill a few people. I can't I can't do walking, but um, you know. That's why we didn't have walk. Jay Moore or something here. They can do kill that. a million. You're a conqueror. <laughs> you do a better uh, Walker uh, Christopher Walken impression than I do. I would actually butcher it. <laughs> so, just like him being like, you know, on the mountain. You know, go figure. <laughs> I think you're making it more I comedic. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm but sorry. You don't understand, like, the internet forever. Christopher Walken already played like a crime boss in True Romance, so it would be like a lot like True Romance. I was just trying to do the line from from this movie. No, I know, but I'm well. saying it would have been a lot like True Romance. Yeah, that's what kind yeah, of yeah, part probably, he would have played. Yeah. Or like the deer hunter. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been like deer hunter. He would have got crazy in the mountain and like challenged him to. No, I think he would have played it a lot like how he was in True Romance, where he was like kind of sly and a little scary and like. Yeah, yeah, he probably would have been. He was a Bond villain too, wasn't he? A long time ago, right? Yeah, yeah. he would have been fine. He would have been great. And he was on the boat with Natalie Wood, right? Yeah, but uh, he he plays the good guy in that film. Okay, does he? All right, just checking. (laughs) Robert Wagner was the bad guy. Robert Wagner is the bad guy. Bad guy with with uh, Natalie Wood. Just check on the yacht thing. On the yacht, okay. We're just, we're clear. Yeah, yeah Christopher yeah. Walken was the good guy on the yeah. boat with Natalie Wood. According yeah. to official investigations, Christopher okay. Walken is is the, it's yeah. clear of that investigation. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> but you know, uh, then of course we wind up seeing, of course, Hugh uh, going on ahead trying to find out where the second briefcase is, and then of course they wind up finding it and everything. But before that actually happens, we wind up seeing once again. Sylvester Stallone beats them to it. <laughs> it's like he has that whole entire map memorized where it's at, where everything's actually laid out. Yeah, it turns out he isn't as rusty in those mountains as he uh, thought. 
uh, earlier in the film where he's like, oh, I've lost the touch for the mountains. Turns out you haven't, Gabe. When you kill someone in the mountains, you seem to remember them. Uh, it's imprinted on you. Yep. <laughs> like a vampire baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, one of the best. This is terrible. <laughs> one of the best scenes in that movie is when he gives the gives the tracker to the to the rabbit. Oh, when he yeah. outflanks the when he outflanks them. Yeah, yeah. It was great. That's a really good scene. And Travers is just so out of his mind that he tries to mow down a, a bunny rabbit with a a fully automatic machine gun and misses. That's been overclicked through the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. He just jammed all the bullets <laughs> and then tried to shoot, and they're just going off in random different directions, two at a time. It's, yeah. Nope, nobody can nobody can seem to shoot anybody in this movie. No, it's, even it's Hugh had a hard time shooting somebody. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. how how uh, Michael Rooker's character at the very end yeah. tries to shoot the side of a helicopter and fails. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm expecting it to blow up and then seeing him yeah. miss it, I'm like, yeah, that thing is not blowing up. It's sort and of like flips also... the tail a little bit, but yeah, it doesn't <laughs> It does nothing. Like, what were you gonna do? He's like, move aside, Jesse, and he, you know, with his shotgun and um, just sort of grazes. He just wings the, uh, <laughs> the side <laughs> of the Sylvester Stallone did more damage to that helicopter than he did. Well, yeah, and Sylvester Stallone is actively like underneath the helicopter at the at that moment, diving to the that ladder uh, off the edge of the the cliff there, and it's like, what are you doing, Hal? Like. You're gonna kill your best friend. Well, maybe. Oh, maybe that's maybe he was shooting at Sylvester Stallone. Like this was his moment for like revenge without anybody suspecting that he was getting his revenge. Maybe Hal set up the whole thing. Maybe Hal actually paid uh, the entire group of terrorists to come to the mountain with the <laughs> with the whole idea to yeah. kill Sylvester Stallone. It's, it's like the game with uh, Michael Douglas. Maybe. <laughs> hey, hey, look, guys, I have an idea. Um, since you already have money. You don't have to worry about that. I just want you to kill Stallone. He killed my girlfriend eight months <laughs> ago. <laughs> I don't care about money. I don't need money. I just want him dead. Off this mountain. Like, you know, make it fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's why, hey, that's why he stays down there and they send Sylvester Stallone up there with no gear. It doesn't make sense. But he's like, hey, I'll stay down here. You send him up there and we'll create an avalanche. We'll just mindfully shoot grenades, grenades at, a, at a mountainside. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also endangering myself. <laughs> yeah. I, but I yeah, I... Go back to why, why <clears throat> wouldn't they just let them in on the heist? I, they would have gotten a lot farther if they were just like... Maybe right, Hal was in on the heist. I don't think so, because he had a lot of really cool one-liners. <laughs> I, I don't love, know if they'd be really cool. No, Hal's okay. one-liners were the best in this movie. They gave Michael Rooker got all the best one-liners in this movie. He actually did, yeah. You know, yeah. it looks like Gravity's a bitch, and uh, you know, um, what what are some of the? I think I wrote some of them, some of them down. Um, uh, in a moment, I'll be dead, but you'll always be an asshole. Like that's a great line that he delivers. <laughs> uh, and then when, when that. Uh, when that one henchman is is going through his soccer monologue, kicking Michael Rooker, you know, to I was a I was, I was a great striker. Was a great striker. Yeah. I was a great striker. Oh, that's a penalty kick. Now you're cursing, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and he he flips over the mountain, grabs the shotgun, and goes, "Season's over, bitch!" And or asshole, and and hit them in the chest. Like Michael Rooker got all the great lines. To be even, honest, even with his you, final line. I think final line is great too. I think Sylvester Stallone had a good line when he killed Leon. Um, what did he say? I can't remember when he puts him up on the spike. 
Does he say I anything? I think he says something when he puts him up on the spike. I wanted him to say more one-liners. He doesn't. The one one-liner that stands out is when he's punching uh, uh, John Lithgow on top of the, the helicopter. He goes, remember, keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times, and then hits him over the edge, and he swings into the helicopter. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he says something. When he puts the guy up on the spike, I don't remember what I can't think of it right now, but I'm pretty he, he sure he like, said something. That's a that was a full on like savage hero moment too. Is he like nut grab to like full shoulder press <laughs> into a stalactite? Like that's that's an epic moment. That's I remember like, it being something really stupid. It was like, um, you know, hang, it was egg tight. Yeah, it was something like <laughs> it was something like that. It was totally something like yeah. that. I feel like he didn't say anything. They just cut to Jesse coming over and being like, "Did you watch the? Oh, what did you do? Did you watch the Channel Five version? No, oh. no, I watched. I watched a <laughs> CW I, I, version. I rented this film. Oh, yeah, this is actually on Netflix now. Is ah, it on Netflix it's on Netflix. Now? Huh? No, it's not. I yes, looked. it is. It was only That's on I... Pluto TV. <laughs> That was like last week. I actually got a notification like a week before we were about to do this. I'm like, okay, I don't have to rent this movie for like three dollars. Oh, I can I'm, go in and rent this. So on, I can go in and watch this on Netflix. I'm I'm looking this up right now because I'm so <laughs> mad. I remember seeing it on like like uh, right Amazon or or something like that when I when I you search for it um, on the Apple products and it shows you like what apps it's available on. Right. And I saw that it was available on something like it didn't show up as rent only. I was like, cool, right. it's on one of these st streaming apps. You can uh, oh, watch it on YouTube and stuff like it's that. Oh, yeah. Dang it! <laughs> you know what I'm doing, Corey? I'm watching it for the 653rd time. I'm so angry <laughs> right now. I didn't have to pay money to see this. It would have been a part of my... Dude, it's like three bucks, man. I, it was $4. <laughs> and honestly, worth every penny. But... Sorry, $3.99. Yeah. But I'm already paying for it as part of a subscription, and now I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, no. I hate when that happens ruined. though too. I had that happen before. Thanks, John. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I'm a day late and dollar short as usual, but you're welcome. <laughs> but you know, I had a blast watching this film and just, you know, just having fun with it, shoving popcorn in my face, oh, yeah. tuning out everything that around me, and just enjoying it for what it is. It's just Stallone doing what Stallone does in the nineties. Nineties action movies are that. They are yeah. they are popcorn movies, and I think that in the '90s is when they had perfected the action movie. '80s were still super cheesy. Once you get into the '90s, they perfected action movies, like right. Cliffhanger, True Lies. You get into those movies where they're just like good action movies. Yeah, Definitely, yeah. It's, it's prime action movie time in the '90s for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Tombstone. <laughs> Tombstone's one of my favorites. I don't know if that counts the same as a cliffhanger, but it's an awesome movie. It is an action it's movie western. to it's come a western. on. It's not like cliffhanger. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't think it's like cliffhanger at all. It's an action movie. Shut up. There's action in it, but I, I wouldn't. No one hanging on cliffs, different, though. Different, different genre than. Corey, you were the one that said you didn't think of yourself as a movie expert. I, oh, my, right. my, I, I, I always said I am an expert here. <laughs> what did you think about, uh, John, what did you think about the uh, ending, man? I actually the like the ending. ending. To me, I think it wrapped up nicely, to be honest with you. Um, of course, it ends on like a cheesy note where basically Stallone goes on ahead, throws the money and everything at the helicopter. The helicopter winds up going wobbly, and then all of a sudden, now he's on the edge trying to uh, kill John Lithgow's character while he's on top of the helicopter. And all you see is just like the 
um, not the end piece of the helicopter, but you all you only see where the cockpit actually is and all that. It's sort of the bottom of it. It's, it's yeah, the bottom of it. hanging off of the <clears throat> that ladder that rolls off the cliff. But yeah, the ending of it was perfect to me. I mean, there's no other way that I would actually end this movie the way that it actually ended. To be honest with you, oh, what about I, you I guys? Need, I need some sort of an epilogue or something. <laughs> it it's it's really more like a modern movie viewing eyes, I think, because the action peaks. It resolves, and then you get a little bit of uh, the. Uh, there's like the Treasury Department comes in in their their helicopter, right. and you know we're we're still waiting on um, the National Guard to get their act together and fix their own helicopters. And nobody's showing up, but the Treasury Department finally shows up at the end <laughs> and is like, "Hang tight." Uh, and again, like you, you know, sort of like from helicopter to walkie-talkie, uh, which is also amazing. Uh, a bit of radio technology. Where he's like, uh, who, who are you? And, you know, he's like, oh, we're rescue people. And now we're stranded. We were with the bad guys, but they're, you know, wearing a helicopter right now. That is how radios work, though. But like they all op- how would, operate how off the know? same frequency. No, no, but how would how would they, they would have to be some sort of like a channel three? Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> they would have to communicate which or just click, 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 click. till you got to that channel like it's. To be honest with you, that walkie-talkie thing with the CB radios actually worked for me because those were actually designed from the agents of agencies, I believe. So uh, them being crossed in the same channel made sense on that level. Okay. Yeah, and also I, I he was calling correctly. for help. He was calling for help. Uh, Frank was calling for help earlier. Oh, okay. In the so movie, he would, have, he would have been on a similar frequency. They would have been on a similar frequency. But I thought that the walkie-talkie that Michael Rooker has at the end, he stole from the guy that he, the soccer player guy that he killed. I mean, he may Before have he also the changed the. He also may, could have, he could have changed it to the frequency because wasn't he trying to call for Frank? Remember, they were calling for Maybe. Frank to get the helicopter. Also, right. they're rescue workers. They probably are more privy to certain channels that certain aircraft work off of, and blah blah. And plus, blah. that one guy that he oh, shot I'll was a soccer go. player. I'll let it go. So he knew he knew all about radio frequencies. I'll let it go. But what I won't let go is Travers and Gabe's fight that we didn't get to talk about yet. Before we get to the helicopter at the end. And okay. and Gabe tap dancing with John Lithgow on on the bottom of that helicopter <laughs> hanging off a cliff. There is this boss fight. <laughs> it's the only thing I can describe it as boss fight between Gabe, where he goes under the ice and then shoots up at Travers with his little spike gun, his like mountain spike gun, uh, that is somehow now semi-automatic and shoots from a clip of spikes. He fires off four rounds into Travers, <laughs> rapid fire. Yeah, I'm pretty sure one. The, there's a bunch of criticism about that type of gun not existing because that type of uh, delivery system would not work the way they think it works. But it makes for a nice gun at the end. The way that, like you know, sometimes they'll shoot a bad guy with a flare gun, and you know, it's like you just need a gun of any kind to like thwart <laughs> your 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 bad guy at the end. But he shoots through ice, rapid fire four times. Boom, 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 boom. No, I think it was into Travers' chest and back and stuff. And that's what. Eventually well, first of all, it wasn't into the ice. I, I don't ground. think it was rapid fire. It was. No, I think he shot him with a spear, and then he pulled out a gun and shot him. Where did Stallone get that gun? It was underwater. No, it was in his back pocket. I think he it shot was... him with the spear gun, and he pulled the gun out of his back pocket and shot him. Where was this gun the entire time? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not Gabe. <laughs> All right, I'm not a mountain man of of the Colorado (laughs) Rockies. He's just like, I got this Glock for emergency use only. 
No bullets, bitch. Well, see, he doesn't mm. have bullets anyway. I'll do a knife fight with this guy. Stick him on a stiletto. Oh, did he get him from Leon? Because he just fought Leon in the in the cave. Yeah, he no, did get Leon was out Leon, of bullets. He brought his gun down, and he was out of bullets. Leon. Which, by the way, if he knew he was out of bullets, because he doesn't fire a single shot once he gets down into the cave. No. Why did he climb no. down into the cave? Leon was not out of bullets. empty gun. Leon was not out of bullets. Yes, he he was. was out of bullets because he had an Uzi. Because she had the Uzi, and then she was out of bullets. That Leon carried into the cave. No. Yes. No. Leon came down. There was a tussle. Uzi falls out of Leon's hand because Sylvester Sloan and him are tussling. She picks up the Uzi, is waiting for her moment. While they're tussling, she hits click, and he looks over, and he goes, no bullets, bitch. <laughs> you know, John, now that now that this is on Netflix, and I don't have to pay to watch this, I'm going to go back and watch this, and I'm going to answer Corey's okay. question. I watched this. Okay. <laughs> I like to know, too, though. <laughs> but another thing, to, though, too, I wanted to let you guys know something, too. I actually played the video game from Sega with this uh, with Cliffhanger and everything. I remember, really? Yeah, the they actually had a Sega name? Genesis video game of Cliffhanger. I actually have it still. Really? They yeah. actually had a vi- they actually had a um, parody version of this released by Vivid Video called Cliff Banger. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> Came out around That's the same time. That's when you time. downloaded the wrong one. <laughs> yes. That was for the GameCube, though. Never saw that version. <laughs> Didn't take off. Never saw that version. But anyways, guys, I- this has been a blast, to be honest with you. I'm glad that you guys wanted to come in and do this. This oh, has I been like an absolute blast. We're talking about cliffhanger. <laughs> we might actually do so this. On, we might actually do a switch the envelope just on cliffhanger. <laughs> I'll join you for lots that. Of veins, John, between the two of us, then. we'll have to have you on our show now, John, just to talk more about cliffhanger. I'm down. I'm down for it. I don't mind talking about cliffhanger or whatever else you want to throw at me. I'm perfectly fine with that. It's an important topic. <laughs> it is. Everybody wants to know what happened with the with that gun now. <laughs> right absolutely exactly what, yeah. what so, is with the gun go look for yourselves <laughs> exactly and if, and if he was just hiding a glock in his back pocket he could have made use of that a lot earlier just saying <laughs> and so, if it was a glock in the back pocket then it would just be like it would be just like the ending from Die Hard. just saying <laughs> <laughs> but except for one thing hans gruber didn't have a helicopter ride taking him down off the cliff <laughs> no but there was a helicopter fall. That did explode that at the yeah. end. They just have it in a different order in this film. There's an explosion, a helicopter, and a giant fall. They all happen, just in a different kind of order. Yes. All right. So with that being said, guys, where can everybody follow you at if they want to go ahead, follow you on social media, or listen to your podcast? As a matter of fact, I also have your link in the description notes, too. Oh, thanks. Yeah, they can follow us on Twitter, at Switch Envelope, because Twitter doesn't allow us to put the the in there. There's too many characters. Uh, they can follow us on Instagram at switch the envelope. Uh, they can subscribe to us wherever they listen to podcasts. Really, um, right now there's a brand new app out there called Good Pods that uh, is really useful. Uh, that's sort of like social media and a podcast app all wrapped into one. And you can go there, you can follow us, and find out the cool shows that you know we're listening to and what we're sharing and stuff. So that that's pretty cool. You can rate and review us there. But you can also find us on Apple. And, yeah, yeah, all, and, the, re- all the regular. Yeah, and regular Spotify places. and everywhere else. iHeartRadio, all that stuff. Or you could go to switchtheenvelope.com for really all your Switch the Envelope needs. And hopefully okay. we'll have some merch soon. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> all right, guys. So with that being said, you guys can go on and follow me on Facebook at Movie Lovers TV Lovers Tonight on there. Of course, on our Instagram page as well, underneath the same brand name, and on Pinterest as well. Of course, you guys can follow me on TikTok at Movie Lovers Unite. That's where I do a lot of my promotions over there. Also, too, Two Blur Girl Podcast and I are actually doing a 
little bit of a charity with Cincy's right now. And all the proceeds go over to the victims of Louisiana for people who lost their homes and everything. So go on ahead, click the link below, do go on ahead, get yourself a Cincy and everything and donate to the cause and everything with Red Cross. We do appreciate that. Also too, if you guys want to donate to our page, how do you do that? You just go to gofundme.com forward slash movie lovers unite podcast. And that's how you guys can donate five to $10 to us. If you guys can't, I totally understand and everything. This is just to keep the lights on here at movie lovers unite, but this is what I want you guys to do. Smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. There's a little bell on the bottom right hand corner. What I got, what I want you guys to do is smash that bell because that allows you guys to know when we're going live, when we have new stuff going on and things like that. Because I know some people are like, well, I, I subscribed. Is that enough? No, that's not enough. You, If you are dedicated to us, you have to smash that bell. So go ahead, smash that bell to let us know what's going on here at Movie Lovers Unite. Also, too, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific Time, I'm going to have another podcast with me, and that's actually going to be made for TV podcast. And we're going to be reviewing Furious Bueller's Day Off. This is our, another flashback to the 80s kind of series that we're doing here at Movie Lovers Unite. Also, too, go ahead, go to Good Pods, just like Jeff and Corey said. That's where I actually... Do a lot of my promotions now don't get me wrong i love apple i like what they're doing over at apple and stuff like that but i like their rating system i like their scales i like actually interacting with people and also too giving us a five star review and stuff like that and also telling us hey i didn't really dig this episode but can you improve on this episode here that's what I like about it. It gives, a, gives us a chance to actually interact with our listeners and everything. So go ahead, rate us over on Good Pods. Rate, um, switch that envelope over there as well. Also, to give us five star ratings. If it's not, this is not worthy of five star, eh, I don't care. Just go in and tell us what you liked about the show. But still, that's everywhere that you guys can follow me at. Also, to you guys can follow me underneath Movie Lovers Unit on Twitter because they won't let me have the E. So, therefore, it's now just Movie Lovers Unit. <laughs> But, Love Twitter. Yeah, Twitter hold, holding on to characters. Ugh. Exactly. And then, of course, if you're a sponsor and would like to get in touch with us, just go ahead and email us at movielovesunite at gmail.com. And that's going to be it for the show for tonight. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Corey, for taking the time out of your night to talk about Cliffhanger. I do appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, man. You're, you're welcome. Anytime. And always until next time, guys, it's been real. It's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. And bye-bye.